Kimberly here. This is Macabish, cults, classics, and horrors. We're talking films, series, books, and life, and we're starting right now. Obviously, Chris is here. Carlos is not here because he's doing something amazing. Okay. He is at yes, he's he is. at film festival Salem Horror Fest. Because, oh yeah, I know it. Yeah, he's part of an anthology, so he won't be joining us today. But that's okay. What's the anthology? It's called Pendulum. Yeah, I think this is the first. Is it? Is this the first screening at the festival yep. this weekend? I is think it, so. Yeah. Yes, it is. So we'll we'll give him a pass today for not being here. I think he has a legitimate excuse. <laughs> He's yes. doing the devil's work. Exactly. <laughs> Welcoming Bill Watterson here today, director of Dave Made a Maze. We love that movie. I don't know how come I've never seen that movie before. Like I'm I'm shocked by that. Yeah, that's what I thought too. As soon as I found it on I found it on Tubi and I was like, wait, why have I never heard of this? And then I watched yeah, it and that's... I thought, wait. Why do I not own this? Like, this is something that is exactly up my alley. <laughs> right. And you know why, what? Why has no one heard of this has been uh, the exactly. bane of our existence since 2017? Well, we're going to see if we can help you out a little bit. Yeah. I found <laughs> it. I found it because I was watching American Splendor, one of my favorites. Sure. Great and um, the uh, actor who plays Robert Crumb, James Urbaniak, he was in it. Okay. I was like, oh, what else is he in lately? Let me just look him up. And then I found Dave made a maze there. It's like, what? Yeah, that would have been a long list. He's been in a lot, but I'm really glad you found us. <laughs> I know. And I was like, it's on Tubi. Well, let me go check it out. Mm-hmm. And while I was watching it on Tubi, I ordered it. So I was nice like, I, I have, this is amazing. And I don't understand why I haven't seen it. So American Splendor, speaking of which, shot in my hometown of Cleveland. Yay. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. I love like that one of movie my so much. Very first PA jobs, production assistant jobs, out here in LA was um, helping those directors, that directing team. They were doing a documentary about road movies, the road mm-hmm. trip movies, uh, which James Urbaniak narrated. And okay, uh, wow. and I think my assignment, I think David O. Russell was one of the people that was you know was there for Chilling Blacktop, and then. Uh, one of my first jobs was to go pick up the director, Richard Serafian, who had done oh. um, Vanishing Point. Yep. Uh, I got to listen to his Hollywood stories all day in the Chateau Marmont. It's pretty, pretty nice. Pretty uh, nice welcome to L.A. moment. Wow. I'll say. We want to hear the whole story. We want to know why film? What inspired you to become a filmmaker? Hmm. I don't have a good answer, so I'm just going to think out loud for a little bit, if that's all right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I could have never really thought about it. And if I did, I'd probably go, well, fuck this. I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I used to make, it, there, there's, it, it's not a straight line, but I did used to make, uh, you know, movies in the backyard with our G.I. Joe and Star Wars figures and firecrackers and smoke bombs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was a movie obsessed kid and very lucky to grow up at a time when you know the movies that were playing in the theater were et and star wars and raiders of the lost ark um so it's, it's hard not to grow up with that and not just be completely absorbed into the worlds um but then there was this long period in all of the arts where it, it and this may be a factor of growing up in the midwest it may be a factor of just a limited imagination or, or insecurity but it, it it just seemed like all of these things music art performance puppetry, everything was just sort of mana from heaven and not something that working people did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it just didn't occur to me that that sort of, that sort of creativity was an option to pursue in any sort of real sense. And the older you get, the, the harder it is to convince yourself that it, that it is possible. Um, but I did eventually get over that. Uh, I had a, a wonderful mentor that very sadly passed. Um, a good one of my best friend's fathers uh, was asking me in, in, in as I was graduating college what I, what I intended to do, not in any sort of like grilling you kind of way, just in, in genuine curiosity as any, as any good mentor uh, would have. Um, and I said, well, I'd like to be in a band, but I'll probably try to get you know into advertising or something because I thought that was the closest to being creative you could be, would be writing ads um, or copywriting or something. And he said, well, you've got to at least try. I mean, right. why not? Mm -hmm. And it hadn't occurred to me to even try, frankly. Um, mm. So I was in rock and roll bands for, for ages. And um, again, thinking out loud, I, I, I don't have a good answer to this question. <laughs> um, That's good. <laughs> Uh, I, I may discover the answer in this conversation. Um, and then as a result of being in rock and roll bands, we made a couple music videos. Um, I, I had an interesting idea for one, didn't turn out great, but it was fun to, fun to try to execute. And then I worked with some friends who were editors um, to, to complete the project. I had, I had a good childhood friend who, who had done the AFI Conservatory for Cinematography and she shot it for us. Um, kind of directed and shot it. It wasn't really that formal. We were just trying to have ideas on tape um, and then work with a friend to edit it. And that's when you sort of really start to see how these images placed together, start telling a story and, and you know, and that it's actually, everybody always says it's the edit room is when you figure out how to make a movie, but that, that's when you just sort of, the, the curtain gets pulled back and you're like, oh God, got it, got it, got it. You, put the shit on tape, you pick the shots, you put them next to each other. And that's, that's all it is. It's not this magical thing that drizzles down from the sky. Um, and I think that sort of opened my mind about it. I pursued, pursued music really hard for a long time and it kind of all blew up in my face and I was left with kind of starting over at age 30 and not sure what to do. And just then a friend of mine was living in LA and said he needed a roommate. Um, and when, when we gigged out in LA, the, the bands had played out in LA, I, I felt like, oh wait, this is a place, it was a tangible sense that this is a place where creative people are paid to be creative. Right. Uh, and uh, there are very few other places where I've ever felt that was true. Um, granted, brilliant artists get paid to do really crappy stuff, but um, that's beneath them, <laughs> but they get paid to be creative. Right. Um, and that, that, was, that was a game changer in my mind. So LA was a place I wanted to be just for that. I was like, well, then, then that's where I want to be so that I can be one of them. And then as all the bands blew up, I mean, literally three bands imploded in sequential, <laughs> quick, quick sequential order. Um, my friend said, hey, if you're serious about LA, I need, a, I need a roommate. And you know, I was road tripping out to LA within days um, and then got started again at the bottom doing production assistant work which i had done before again that same friend who shot that music video knew that i would sort of thrive on set and get excited about it so she got me some work in in cleveland as a pa uh, and i got a sense of what set was like and that's even more you know on, on, on much larger scale things with some with you know like leslie nielsen and like some some recognizable talent um and again that sense of like oh this isn't this closed world i'm that i'm not welcome in this is this is just a place with hardworking people um, trying to make something. And that, that as a sort of 
Cleveland blue collar mentality that made sense to me. So, um, so I brought that to LA, got production work, production assistant work, and increasingly saw, you know, who did I want to be when I was on set? It's like, do I want to, you know, everyone's like, you're, you're an amazing PA. You're, you're, you should fast track yourself to be an AD, which is assistant director. And I was like, I don't want to fucking do that. That's, there's nothing creative about that. You're the right. first one there, the last one to leave. Everyone hates you. Um, <laughs> like, why would I, why would I want to do that job? Um, so then it was, you know, th there was the, the writing element was something I had wanted to do. The, the, the performing element I really missed from music. So I started studying at Second City, a few other places uh, with the acting coach, Robert Devonzo. And, and then I had a, a, a decent run um, as an actor for a while. I was making a living as an actor and I was on a lot of sets and it, it you know, more and more, <laughs> there's so many more curtains <laughs> uh, kept getting pulled back. Um, and uh, twofold. One is being an actor, you, you, you're a cog in a machine, which is which can be really satisfying or really frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, but as a writer, director, you're you build the machine and you run it. Um, sure. So there was a sense of wanting that that uh, an, an element of wanting control, um, not not like incredible control, because though to be a good director, you have to set everything free, but um, just just guiding a ship instead of just like showing up for a day or showing up for two days or putting everything into a project that never comes out or what, you know, whatever it is, all the ways that you're sort of buffeted as an actor. I wanted to try to be in the driver's seat a little bit more with, with the storytelling and with my career. Um, and then also as an actor, longest answer ever, uh, I was <laughs> um, doing a lot of, uh, short films and such with the with AFI, American Film Institute. They, they have a deal with SAG, Screen Actors Guild. Uh, I'm trying not to be too inside baseball here. Um, baseball is a, a game born out of the British game rounders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to let people in. I just want to let people in. Um, it's good to get all It's good to get all the details in the full explanation yeah, there. Thank you. Exactly. Um, uh, so as a, as a member of the Screen Actors Guild, I was working at the American Film Institute with a lot of great up and coming cinematographers and filmmakers. And I was kind of throwing this like, you know, what, what would I, how would I want my set run? What did I like? What did I not like? What are the lessons I'm learning if, when it's my turn? Who are the teammates I would want to be working with when it's my turn? Um, and then uh, one of my friends at Second City, Stephen Sears, had, he's a brilliant writer. He had this screenplay for Dave Made a Maze. It wasn't called that at the time. I think it was called uh, death, death maze. I don't remember. Um, and he was excited about it. Uh, and then a, a childhood friend of mine who might performed with at second city and had performed within, um, you know, YouTube videos and shows that we were trying to make starring ourselves that we would edit together. Um, which is when I really first started directing and editing. Um, he loved the screenplay and he wanted to produce it. He's an incredibly hard worker and he just had this ambition to produce it. Uh, and Steve just said, Bill, I think you should direct it. Um, I was running a vaudeville show at the time and Steve was part of this uh, comedy group called Bro Squad Five. And I would host, I would kind of produce, host and direct the vaudeville show with, with a good friend of mine, Alex Ferrari. And, and I, I think Steve saw the way that I guided that ship, that it was something that I could do. Um, so, we worked together on the screenplay over the years as John and I worked together on the fundraising over the years. Um, and eventually after five years of, of effort, we had enough money to go into production. 
uh, we didn't have enough money to finish the movie, but we had enough money to do principal photography. So we just mm. found a location, picked a date and started saying, hey, it's we're shooting May 1st. Are you in or are you out? And that's how we that's how we built the team. But but so that's a very long winded answer. Um, but I backed it. There's a degree to which I backed into it. I mean, on one hand, being a musician, being an actor, being a production assistant, being being an AD, being all these things were tools in a toolbox uh, mm -hmm. that that made me a more efficient um, director and someone who understood everybody's the division of labor and and right. you know who who to go to when you have a question or who to go to when you have an assignment. Um, so I wasn't just like I'm the weird creative one, and the rest of you have to do what I say. It, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> right. It wasn't that. It was like, oh, here's an opportunity in the script for someone in the wardrobe department to really do something special. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it it did all build up to that in a way that that perfectly makes sense. And when I look back at the movies I made as a kid, and even the way I played with toys, I would set up these elaborate, you know, whether it was you know, army men or uh, GI Joes or Star Wars, or whatever. I would set up these elaborate um, sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would spend all day using the entire basement to set up like all of the toys and then like dominoes I'd be like okay the battle starts here and then this guy survives this battle and ends up doing this here you know and it would all then it would all sort of play out like 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 a giant domino rally um so in retrospect it it, it makes sense but I was not like I got a camera on, I was not a Spielberg I was not like I've got a camera on my shoulder and I'm coming out to LA and I'm making my movies and all I know how to do is make movies and movies, movies, movies. I live and breathe movies. It, 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 it wasn't that. Anyway, I'm gonna stop talking. No, that's really interesting <laughs> because everybody, every uh, filmmaker we've had on here, their stories all have been different, obviously, mm -hmm. to some degree. I think you might be the first one who just kind of fell into it, but then it kind of modeled how you played when you were a child. That's really interesting. Yeah, really and I'll is. tell you, I, I, I did, I, I think there is a degree to which I did fall into it, but I don't want to make it sound like it, it was not effortless um, right. uh, at, by any means. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did go to, you know, I did go to uh, LA Community College and take some filmmaking classes while we were trying to raise the funds and get things going so that I was making sure I was training myself in, in things I didn't, I knew I didn't know how to do. Uh, right. I was taking editing classes. I was taking cinematography classes, not to be an editor or cinematographer, but to be better, to be a better director mm -hmm. and to be a better leader and to better communicate with, with those department heads so that I could earn their respect. Um, so you're, you're right. I, there is a degree to which I fell into it or sort of backed into it or was, was offered it, I suppose. Right. Uh, not that there was a job. It took us five years to raise the money. And, you know, I, I lost, I lost my shirt on Dave made me and didn't, didn't make a penny, but, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that I was handed a job. I don't want to make it to sound like that. Um, right. But uh, there was an opportunity there to, to, mm -hmm. to make something with my friends. And that's kind of the energy I try. Things go well when I remember that energy as, as, as an approach to projects, as opposed to when I try to be a part of any sort of Hollywood system or chase a mm -hmm. job. It goes a lot better when I remember that energy of like, make something cool with your friends. If I'm the director, great. Um, but then... And I remember having I remember having drinks with James Urbaniak every Friday. We would we would do happy hour at um, Golden Road Brewing because we were shooting in walking distance. The whole movie was done in a single small uh, location, mm -hmm. um, and we'd walk to Golden Road and whoever was down, uh, you know, buy a round of drinks. Uh, and then you know, then you're on your own after that because I was not making any money. But um, uh, talking to James and 
being like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, I think I'm a one and done. Like I, I, I'm the guy to direct Dave made a maze, but that doesn't mean that I'm a film director. Right. Um, but then in the post-production process, first of all, I, th I thrive in post-production. I absolutely loved what we were doing in the edit. I loved editing and you don't get to the edit room unless you direct something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and secondly, it, it, not that I loved it in, in, in the sense that I wanted to be an editor. I loved working with an editor to put the, what we had done together into a movie, mm -hmm. working with a sound designer, working with a colorist, you know, all, all of us, working with the VFX people, all that stuff to take what we had done and make it as, as good it can be as a whole. Like that's the part that I love the most about directing much more than pre-production, much more than even being on set, I think. Um, right. Although they, they're all awesome uh, to varying degrees, but like seeing it come together is my favorite part by far, but you can't get to that point unless you do all the rest. Right. Um, and aggravating life lesson I have to keep learning. Um, but uh, in working with the, with that editor, he and he was worked with some big directors, some some, some very <laughs> wealthy <laughs> directors, very successful people. And he's like, "You're you're one of the best directors I've ever worked with." Like seeing what you shot, seeing what your intentions were, seeing how you problem solve and post, uh, and you know how detailed and 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 intentional you are in your in, in your choices and your efforts and your problem solving. And, and being able to understand the part for the whole and vice versa. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's like, this This has been, and it's, we were friends, so it wasn't just like, it, it wasn't just a compliment. He was actually saying, you're, you are a director. You're one of the best directors mm -hmm. um, I've worked with. Uh, and he's worked with big, big name directors whose careers I would kill for. So that helped a lot. And then Slamdance, when, when we got into Slamdance, one of the first things they said was like, this is, you know, you have your film, but I'm not, I'm not, I used to be able to quote this and I knew I was getting it right. And now, now it's escaping me, but it's something along the lines of the, you know, the point of the festival and, and your efforts now are to, to, to get to make your next film. Right. Um, they made me feel like a filmmaker too. Mm -hmm. So it came, and again, I said it was it, it, possibly a lack of vision, possibly just a lack of confidence. Um, so it did, it did come from other people. It came from Steven saying, oh, you should direct it. It came from Slam Band saying, you're a filmmaker now. And it came from mm -hmm. the editor saying, you're one of the best directors I've worked with. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm a filmmaker then. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. And also there's a degree to which, yeah, you know, I'm trying to go, I, I've been very frustrated trying to be creative and trying to be an artist. And I think I'm prone to frustration and impatience as, as, as a personality, but I've just been incredibly frustrated. And I was like, I want to go where the momentum is. I want to go where I'm wanted. I'm right. tired of like banging on a door being like, I have value. Play with me, work with me, bring me along, put me on the team. I have value. Like that's, I feel like I spent my whole life trying to convince people of that. And then the movie came out and the, just the floodgates open. A agents, managers, awards, festivals, screenings, come, come to Brazil, come to Austria, come to Sitches, you know, here's here's a new visions award, audience award, jury prize. You know, I was like, oh, maybe now I'm finally where I'm wanted because right, mm -hmm. I've been screaming for 20 years, and everyone's like, shut the book up, <laughs> uh, and now it's like, no, come, come, we we want you, you know, and 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 it's still happening. We're, we just heard from an incredible uh, festival in Mexico City that I, I loved attending. Um, macabro and they want to screen day made a maze for children's day in mexico city it's like that 
That's awesome. To be wanted. You know, you guys mm-hmm. reached out. That's why I said yes. You it's amazing. found the movie, you reached out, you wanted to talk to me. It's like the just the not not to go back to being insecure, but like, God, after auditioning for a decade, after all the rejection letters from the bands and from my own bandmates and everything, to just to be wanted at all. It's like, all right, well then maybe I'm maybe I'm in the right place. Maybe this is what I should be doing. <laughs> right. Well, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. We all want to feel wanted. And, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and valued for what we do we don't no one wants to feel like well whatever he's here so i guess we're doing this well that's <laughs> that sucks so i yeah, mean that's, it gets, that's it valid gets old. <laughs> it gets old and like you know when you're an actor you're like pick me pick me and mm-hmm. that's just a, and yes that is a there's a head game to being an actor which is getting yourself mm-hmm. out of that space and getting yourself into a space and it's very famously george clooney who is like okay how can i help them um, as opposed to like pick me you know but right. but that, that head game is is incredibly hard to play um and I wasn't always good at it um also I wasn't always a very good actor I wasn't I didn't have the training that a lot of people do so there's something about you know being a, a writer and a director where you're like I don't know this story kind of picked me because it won't leave my head um and it chose me to write it and it chose me to to make it because no one else even knows what I'm talking about. So I have right. to, I have to tell it. Right. I have to be the one to tell. It, Those know? are the best stories, though. Let's be yeah. honest; that they really are. I mean, and yeah. and part of it is it is finding it and being like, why have I never heard of this? How is it on? And I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. And then you go and search for, it, and then you go search for the fil- filmmakers. That's part of what makes these kind of movies even better because it's like a treasure hunt yeah yeah and we we knew from the beginning we're like well we're not making a movie for everybody i'm just not interested in 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 that um and there was a point i remember there's a point where he says it's it's bigger on the inside and then we don't contest that statement Mm -hmm. and we're like that's where the people who are going to hate this movie are going to stop watching and fuck them we don't know Right. Not 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 fuck them with any animosity. I don't expect I don't expect people to like the movie. Uh, right. It, but it's for people who are going to love it. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a certain level of suspension of disbelief in Dave May's Maze that isn't there in a lot of other movies. So right. you're absolutely right that that would be the point where somebody would say, "Well, this is ridiculous. I'm done with this. Right. This is not what I signed up for." And but, we were totally okay with that. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, for me, as soon as the like as soon as you heard the voice dave's voice from inside where he's like i'm trapped it's bigger in here than it is out there i thought okay this is now going in a direction that i hoped it would go in what is inside <laughs> this thing now like and is then, it or is he just a nut job and he got himself turned around somehow in a box right and it feels like it's bigger than it actually is little bit of both column a column b then there's the blood splatter, and it's like, what? Oh, the paper what? blood splatters. I love the paper blood splatters. That was that, I'm always surprised when I think back how late in the game that idea came along. Like, it was much more of a horror movie, like violent, uh, oh, yeah. you know, real blood horror mm-hmm. movie. Same, same kills, but they were all, like, actual kills and, like, yeah. more more what you'd expect from, like, a an 80s John Carpenter gore fest. Um, and then kind of late in production, I... I I always credit it to Trisha Gum. I know she was in the room. She was one of our key production designers early on. Um, and then her career totally blew up by the time we actually got to film. And she was doing uh, 
Lego Batman and Lego Two. Oh wow! Um, but uh, it was in a meeting. I think it was with Stupid Buddy. It might have been with Shadow Machine. One of these cool uh, stop motion puppetry production companies mm -hmm. that we were trying to get on board early on. Um, who are all great. I have nothing but positive things to say about, but, but nobody did end up boarding the film. Um, which, you know, is another lesson. Just fucking you gotta do it yourself. Stop looking for help. You gotta go do it yourself. Um, but uh, I think that came when we were talking about the script, I, it, it came up, I, I, I have a, a visual memory of the room and Trish being there and, and John and Steven were there. And it was, I think it was Buddy. It might've been Shadow Machine, but I remember it being Trish, but I could be wrong, but that, that like, there's sort of the what if that instead of blood, mm -hmm. what if it is, um, what if it is, you know, paper craft blood, uh, which was in line with what we've been talking about since day one, which is, okay, well, when the maze gets its hands on something, what does it become? How do you, how do we mazeify air? How do we mazeify mm -hmm. sound? How do we mazeify the score? Like what changes? What, what does, how does the maze warp reality? So it was, it was an extension of, an, of the kinds of ideas we've been talking about all along, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you know, it, it was late iterations of the script um, before we had a shoot date, before we had our financing, but, but late iterations of the script that that idea came about. And then once we had that, it was like, oh, cool. Oh um, yeah. And then, I mean, selfishly as a, producer-minded director i was like oh and that means that the costumes won't get wet with blood stains and we don't have to have <laughs> like quadruples of all the costumes because everyone's getting covered in blood all the time it's like right. oh, that makes our life so much easier yeah <laughs> um but it was it was a creatively obviously creatively driven decision but then the way that it sort of felt so in line with what we'd already been doing but also in a way made our lives easier but very much so made the movie the movie to watch and the movie to execute a lot more fun much more effective i think than it would have been if it had been with like actual like movie blood yeah it, it's because the first time it happened first of all it was a shock because it was completely unexpected right like i was fully expecting the blood and the gore that's what i i thought was going to happen and then we get the streamers flying and the paper blood and i thought okay this like this is now going in even though it was already in a completely different direction it's going even further into this completely different alternate reality direction. And I was just, I was hooked. I mean, That's, I was hooked right from when the guy crawled into the maze, but right. <laughs> from there forward, it just, it kept getting better. That's why it's, the, like the cardboard it's... minotaur and Dave's mm -hmm. cardboard hand, like everything. It just, it was amazing. The, the hand and the minotaur were there in, in the early iterations of the script, but it's just funny to think about that, 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 that blood gore, uh, papercraft gore was not an early part of the script. And, you know, it's, it's, it led to my favorite visuals, it led to all my favorite lines. Is this not good mm -hmm. yarn? Like, that's my favorite <laughs> yep. line. Yeah, right. oh, that was great. Um, but it's wild to think about the things that weren't there, even as we were inching towards production. Another example is the, the scene where they all turn into puppets. That's, I love that so that much. So brilliant. <laughs> I love that so much. I was that like, was my favorite. I'm gonna have to call my sister. I was like, this is crazy. You you need to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna but love it. I love the score in that moment. Mm -hmm. I love the puppeteering. I love the design. But that was not in the script. We oh. were in post-production. We had an it's called an assembly. It might have been one, might have been a step beyond assembly to, towards rough cut, but it's like when you're just putting the stuff together and like this is not the movie. But these are the scenes that we shot in the order that we intended them. How is it looking? How's it playing? 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. And we watched it with uh, John Sumner, our production designer. I think Jeff White might have been there. I'm not sure. Our art director, production designer. Uh, but we had just a handful of key folks. We watched it and we're like, okay, we got we got a, we got a solid B, but w- you know w- what else can we do? Um, and because the film is so modular, we walk into this room, we exit and enter in this other space. We were like, we can add a sequence, we can add a space, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have any kind of budget to bring all the actors back. Nick had grown out his beard. It was just like, what what are we gonna do? That we can afford to do and we had um we had the actors booked for what's called adr um which i think is i always forget i think the dr is dialogue replacement but it might be digital re- audio digital replacement i don't know it doesn't matter is when you after the fact you record shit and then you put it in yeah. the movie and you're like oh no one's supposed to know um right so we had them booked for that and that was in the budget so i was like all right i can have their voices uh, if I can just have their voices, <laughs> what can we do? Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, the the puppet thing is an opportunity to to have their voices without having to have the actors. Um, and and uh, the production designer John Sumner had done a lot of the initial bible and designs, but he was not able to be with us on set. And he was like, "I want to do more than I was able to do." So he took it on and and helped you know help break the idea. Uh, and he made all the puppets solo by himself by hand um and and we wrote this scene where it's like we looked for the right time in the movie and we're like okay well when they go out when they go down here what if it's a looney tunes like pipe like bing bong bang bong the silly pipe gag uh and then they come out in their puppets and then they, they'll go in this other tube and then they'll come down the slide um like initially he just went into the the gift that that sort of gag that mary poppins table gag mm-hmm. where he goes into the, the the gift and then they just came down the slide right um and that was the movie that was the script that's what we shot that's what we were screening to our to our inner circle and then and then we came up with that puppet gag and if we're doing the puppet gag do the pipe gag um and then even even within the we tried not to be indulgent like within the puppet scene it was like all right well wh- what else can we accomplish here and we were feeling like we didn't have any stunts. We didn't have any stunt budget. So we were feeling like the, the level of danger and booby traps wasn't as high as it could be. But with the puppets, we could swing a hammer. We could swing a spike ball. We could, we could throw darts. You know, we could do things that I wouldn't want to do with live actors um, or that were too sort of big and complicated to do with live actors. So it's like, okay, we can ratchet up the sense of danger uh, and booby traps, which, you know, is, is a big part of the movie, but we didn't have the budget to make it a bigger part of principal photography. So we can do that. Um, we definitely got the sense that when they're like, oh, look, it's, it, it's the entrance, we're home. And they went out and it had overgrown the apartment, the maze had overgrown the apartment, um, that that moment wasn't landing emotionally. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we can reinforce the sense of, and we literally have them say it like 10 times, if, if we get back to the apartment, everything's going to be, be okay if we get back to the apartment. Right. Um, so we could, we could reinforce that. And I had wanted to do much more of a sense of, you know, Initially, you were thinking like, oh, steady cam, walk and talk through the maze. But you're like, okay, but we only have 12 feet because <laughs> um, <laughs> we only had 60 feet by 40 feet to work with. And we had to have two standing sets at all times or we'd never make our days. Um, so you know, we were able to do a bit of a walk and talk with the puppet in the, with the puppets by, you know, by moving the walls. Um, the puppets are standing still and the walls are on rollers. So it looks like they're able to kind of do a, little, a bit more of a walk and talk than we were able to do in live action. So, so um, 
don't know. It was just fun. It was really fun to, to be able to brainstorm like that and, and add on to the movie and, and make up for things we weren't able to do in principal photography because of all the limitations. It's crazy to think there was a version of the movie that had no paper craft blood and no puppets. Like they're such memorable portions of the movie. And to think that it could have been without those, it changes the whole film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it's, it's a testament to, it's a testament to the team and how everybody was just constantly, you know, best idea wins. Let's keep, let's keep elevating. Let's keep elevating uh, that, that drive, that desire. And it's, and it's also, you know, pulls back the, I keep saying pulls back the curtain, but uh, kind of shows you how, you know, how messy filmmaking yeah. can be. Like you, you think again, that whole thing, it's mana from heaven. The, the writer director must know every, you know, and some of the directors that I admire do, they know like every shot, every moment, every detail. And some of us are just trying to figure out, you know, as, as much as we pre-plan and pre-vision, a lot of it, you're, you're figuring it out along the way and just being like, oh, this could be better. Oh, that didn't work, but this might, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I'll, uh, I'll net, I just worked with an editor that I love on a, a short film where I actually bring back to life some of my old backyard 80s uh, movies. Um, but... Uh, he was telling me that he knew, I think it was him that was telling me, that he knew the editor on um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is an mm. incredible movie. I love Gondry. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, he's an influence. Um, and he was telling me the extent to which that movie was crafted in post, which just seems impossible because there are so many intentional transitions and in-camera effects and moments that, that seem so predestined as they start to unfold in front of you. But, but a great deal of that was, was crafted, uh, crafted in the edit room as opposed mm. to putting together what the director intended, you know? The one thing I always think of when I'm watching something different is I just hope this is really different because <laughs> we always say we want something different, but I'm not sure everybody thinks they really do like I do. Mm. Like it could have very easily been we go into a maze and then some people are going to get hacked up and then blood and guts and yeah, done to death. That's right. why I was so happy to see the confetti. And then you and find out, oh, wait a minute, the apartment is on top of a Native American burial ground. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and believe me, in, in when we were out pitching the movie, trying to get support, there were a lot of people who, tell, who were telling us that that that's what the movie needed was an explanation. I was like, then, mm -hmm. then no, you don't, you don't get magical realism and you don't want to work with me. Cause right. Yeah, I, it works I, so it, much better without boring. an explanation. Yeah. Explanations are boring. They take yeah. up a bunch of screen time, trust your audience. I don't need everything spelled out for me. I'm not an idiot. So I don't want right. things made for idiots. If you want to make something for an idiot, work with somebody else. Like, right. It's just, it's, Again, that sense of like we're not going to make a movie for everybody, and that's yeah. that's totally cool. <laughs> right. Funny, I was I was chatting with a, um, I was chatting with a friend this morning, one of my very dear friends, and I mentioned that I was going to get to talk to you this afternoon, and she said that um, first of all, Dave made a maze is in her uh, to be watch list, so she's going to watch it this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and she was saying when she saw the the trailer for it, which I never saw a trailer for it, so I had no idea what I was getting into when Ooh, I started watching it. Um, but when she saw a trailer for it, she said, it made me think of when I was a kid and I used to make blanket forts yeah. on the couch. And every time you'd crawl into that blanket fort, it would be like, am I going into a different world now? Yep. And I realized right. that it's that sense of whimsy and the unknown that really is prevalent in 
in Dave Made a Maze because like it's literally that. Like he made it because he he wanted something to do, so he made it, and then he crawled in and he's like immediately transported into this different dimension. Yeah, which I think that's something it works I'm kind of like with. I just thought, I, I find myself like I, I definitely did it as a kid all the time, and it still happens yeah. to me. I I you know I loved Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't I didn't don't remember reading it. I do remember there was an animated version. Yeah. Uh, and just that sense of you go in the closet and if you keep going, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, but I, I, I on it happens to me still now when I'm on a hike or, or, you know, I see, I see an opening, I see mm-hmm. that the light is hitting a part of the forest in a different way. And it looks like it could be a gateway or when you go, you know, when even in a curated garden, when they, they have a canopy over you and it's dark and the light is different and you step yeah. in, it's like always, desperately and maybe this is just because i'm unhappy in real life but i always desperately <laughs> want that to be yeah from here to there i want to be taken somewhere yeah. i want to i want to step in and find out oh there's a whole different reality mm-hmm. right um, you just have to look you know i i've i've always been obsessed with that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's it and the same thing like i i still get that too exactly the same feeling you know even just sometimes just walking through a door that you know i I don't know what i'm walking into and i think okay like logic tells me that i'm just going to walk into another room but what if right or what if i don't like yeah i I love those i mean it's not environmentally sound but i love those uh, tunnels they've blown through all the mountains in in north america where your car pulls in you're like oh my god what if we come out in space what if we come out underwater what exactly what yeah, the one out in the, the, in the 20s. Like yep. <laughs> yep. Like, how cool would that be? <laughs> um, yeah. Man, yeah. you're exactly who should be making movies. Like, mm-hmm. honestly. <laughs> Somebody who who thinks like that and just has this to still wonder about the world and like what could be in magic. Those people make the best movies, but they also make the least movies. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, tell Hollywood I'm the one who should be making movies. <laughs> six straight years of go fuck yourself and it's oh it's exhausting well because they want the sure bet meanwhile meanwhile us horror fans were like no no we have seen (laughs) a million and one zombie movies and for god's sakes indian burial ground we have done (laughs) to death could Mm -hmm. we please move on like just give somebody else a chance please because we are always looking for something else from your from your lips to whoever the fuck runs this town of years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody's listening to me. In part, that's that's the reason why we have a podcast because mm-hmm. yeah. we we're we're fans, right? We're not we're not suggesting we're anything else, but we talk to people who make the movies that we like. Right. And right. Which is yeah, that's the same spirit I was talking about. Yep. Trying to get back in touch with make make cool interesting stuff with with your friends you know yeah, right. and may, maybe you expand your definition of friends you know there, right. there are people i want to work with and do work with whom i don't know well or don't see outside of the work but the, mm-hmm. the people that i whose artistry i like greatly respect it's, it's like that it, i think as long as you can stay in touch with that energy i don't know it seems it seems odd for me to say that at the same time when i can't get a, a second movie made in my career <laughs> but uh you know, I feel like as long as you can stay in touch with that, with that mm-hmm. energy, you're more likely to be happy and more likely to ultimately make something of value. And it was definitely all through, um, like the from the from beginning to end, it like it felt like 
everybody who was involved in the production and you know performing they were happy to be there and they, they were having a good time and they were enjoying it and i could really feel that sense that you know it, it was a, a true um community process during the, oh, the yeah. production of the film yeah and you know i it's, it's interesting because at the time i had a lot of I had a lot of sense. I had a lot of worry about a lot of things. I mean, obviously, I was worried about schedule. I was worried about budget. I was worried about being a first-time filmmaker. You know, I I, I met James Urbaniak in wardrobe. You know, like I, I didn't. We didn't have table reads. I didn't have a chance. You know, J Nick and Mira shook hands and went and shot their first scene. You know, they didn't know. Mm. No, nobody knew each other. Well, not that's not true. Not nobody. Uh, the uh, the film crew, uh, the Boom Op and the and uh, Frank Hyde and Scott Narber were friends from Second City and. Uh, um, Adam Bush knew James Abaniak from, from various projects. And I knew Adam, he'd, he'd actually guested, both Adam Bush and Scott Krinsky had guested in, in my, the vaudeville show I was telling you about, that, that Steve mm -hmm. Sears' uh, comedy troupe used to be such a significant part of. And Scott Narva was in Steve Sears' comedy troupe. You know, there, there, so it wasn't that nobody knew each other. And uh, Tim Nordwin from OK Go, the bass player, uh, who, who um, his partner was Stephanie Allen. Uh, I've known him forever because I used to be in bands and used to open for for OK Go back in the day. Um, so it's not it's not that nobody knew anybody. Uh, even John Morrison, the, the wrestler, the Minotaur, was friends of Scott and Steve's, uh, and I'd met him a couple times before. Um, so it's not that nobody knew anybody, but there were there were significant. I mean, I was starstruck when I met James Urbaniak. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a huge huge fan of his work, uh, and I didn't have any time to you know, befriend him. We had to go right to work. Right. Um, so I, I had some, I had some, you know, some insecurities. It was in my head about some things. I was, you know, make, I, I was, it was really, I was, I was worried that people weren't going to have a good time, which isn't the best, you know, it's better to just say, I'm going to make sure everybody has a good time. Right. <laughs> but I was more, I was more um, worried because I was just carrying around a lot. Um, but it, it was just a relief to hear how much fun everybody had on that set and they still talk about it you know even yeah. even people who were really under the gun like prop masters and uh you know lauren shell just posted on, on her facebook how much she loved that she had a facebook memory pop up and how many years ago it was and how it was her first feature and uh in that role and she was so you know loved the time you know just just continuing to hear that people loved making it mm -hmm. um as challenging as it was is 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 really rewarding and i i keep i think i stole this from a football player for the Cleveland Browns but uh, um, increasingly I try to remember as I'm trying to get other projects made and other other big and small like I want volunteers not prisoners right um, and that movie was all volunteers in in many cases quite literally but mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, I mean it was a it was a union job for the actors so everyone, you know people were compensated but um mm -hmm is a large degree no one did that project for the money they read the script and saw the opportunity and you know i think it's very deceptively simplistic like it would be really easy to write it off and say whatever it's about a fort it's right. a weird man trapped in a fort made out of cardboard it's actually <laughs> kind of brilliant we spent a lot of time talking about you know the theme uh, and, and there's, there are a lot of details in there that I would expect people to miss. And in some cases it's because I didn't do, I didn't put the camera where it needed to be to pay off mm -hmm. some of the ideas, but, uh, a, a few examples of things that I, I, details that I love that I, I expect no one to find, uh, that scene I mentioned where they, they come out, they're like, oh, we're home. 
and they come out and the maze has overgrown the apartment. Mm-hmm. So we had that shoe rack um, and everybody had to take their shoes off uh, to come into the apartment, stuff like that. Right. Uh, when, when the maze is overgrown, the shoe rack is there. It's covered in cardboard. And instead of shoes, it's all uh, shoe boxes, um, which is stupid That's... and silly. But like, <laughs> brilliant though. Great. The, um, the yeah. attention to detail. That yeah, is exactly. wild. The attention to detail. Um, and then, you know, Gordon's shirt. Uh, and I, we highlighted this with, with musical cues. And some people have picked up on this, but his shirt changes at key moments throughout the maze. You know, again, mm-hmm. once the maze gets its hands on things. So it, it starts out, you know, we just always figured like, I think his initial character description was, was Gordon's an asshole who plays too many video games or something like that. Right. Um, so that's sort of baked in from early on. So we had this idea that he would have this 8-bit like character, video game character mm-hmm. on his shirt. He's like, yeah, I'm a gamer. I'm, a, a, you know, I'm probably obnoxious. Um, and then at key moments in the movie, he does heroic things. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, which is unlike him. And that 8-bit character becomes 16-bit. And then it becomes 32-bit. So that by the end of the movie, the character is not only much more, def- the character on a shirt as as is gordon's character is not only much more defined but it's actually gordon he's got a beard he's got glasses mm-hmm. um so that uh you know that's a that's a small detail that some people pick on some people don't right and obviously if we had a budget we'd have done it in camera with animation and stuff but right uh you know doing playing playing tricks is fun too um and then some of the some of the specifics like when the when annie and dave are are stuck in their relationship loop and the and and the maze is trying to break literally trying to break them up right uh, because if they if they see if they see each other for who they are and and reignite that love and that passion for each other the maze doesn't stand a chance so the maze mm-hmm. is like fighting desperately to keep them apart and and the the apart the, the closer they become the more the maze is revealed as 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 being as being there trying to stop them so at the beginning it's just it's just their apartment and they go, wait a minute, the maze is tricking us. But by the yeah. end, they've they've overcome it and the maze is revealed for what it is. So the apartment is then covered in cardboard. The window in that shot is this beautiful diorama, all cardboard miniature diorama, because you can see out the window. So mm-hmm. you're seeing mountains and trees, but it's all in this like miniature cardboard diorama that in, in and of itself was was a beautiful piece of work. And you know, I didn't, I didn't always put the camera on those details uh, partially because I think I thought they would show up more than they did. And partially because I was trying, you know, we had two, three takes and we had to keep moving on mm-hmm. right. uh, just to make our days. But, but I think the fact that that level of detail is in there, in fact, in that scene, so in their apartment, there's a bunch of pictures on the wall of them, like on vacation in San Francisco. And, you know, like we just Photoshopped these like happy couple pictures. And then as the, as the scene changes, in those pictures they're like strangling each other and beating each other up and fighting right uh on the on the wall and like dave's to-do list that's in the animated opening Mm -hmm. that is then on the wall um in in the apartment in real life uh his to-do list as the maze is taking as the maze is being revealed is like it's not like kill yourself but it's like it's something like i i forget what it changes to but it went from like simple to do things to like very self-destructive self-loathing things Mm -hmm. um because the maze is literally telling him to hate himself which shows up on camera but (laughs) but it's all in there yeah (laughs) there was a moment when dave was asked why did you do this and he said 
because I wanted to finally create something and I wanted it to matter. Man, that hurt. And then Dude, that... people always would just show up and say, ah, so you're uh, making a movie about me. Like the number of, people, <laughs> yeah. the number of, of artists who showed up to work on that movie because they saw themselves in that. I remember Nick, when he first came, he was like, you know, my friends and I, we have this fake documentary about, I don't remember what it was, uh, maybe a fake band or something. And he's like, we keep talking about it. We shoot a little here. We shoot a little, we know we're never going to finish it. You know, and it's that like, I got, you know, I got mm -hmm. albums from multiple bands that were recorded and never mixed and released. I got, I mean, I got, I got dozens of, more than dozens of projects at this point that from, from the tiny uh, to the, to the, you know, $15 million movie, uh, budgeted movie that, you know, are just pipe dreams, <laughs> you know? Right. So I, it's, it's. But I didn't want it to just be about artists. Like how many people right. are like, I'm going to clean up the garage or the garage mm -hmm. is a work in progress or right. I'm working, working on my man cave. And you're like, are you? Because it doesn't take that long. Um, right. You, you know, yeah. it's, it's a blind spot for all of us and you can never, you can never get everything done. Right. And then how he didn't make an exit. He didn't make the chrysalis until they needed it because he didn't want it to be destroyed. I was like, ah, oh, my God. What? <laughs> Like this yeah. movie's killing me. Yeah, I think I think my favorite, and this was all Steve. I think my favorite was the maze within the maze. Mm -hmm. He's like, while he's making a maze that he's not finished, he yeah. starts a side project making another another maze, maze mm -hmm. inside the maze. It's just like, oh god, that is so fucked up and right. relatable. I mean, it's so silly, but it's to me that is so relatable. Oh yeah. yeah. And, oh, and if I we got just... an idea for a new movie. Really? Right. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. movies are hard. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Felt all of that. That It felt personal. <laughs> yeah. Good. This is really good. good. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> I, I definitely, there are, there are uh, Twitter reviewers who are like, I love this movie, but I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, man, it's not an attack. I'm just being honest. I can relate. Yeah. We couldn't have made it if we weren't guilty of the same fucking thing i mean the amount of time steve and i spent in my apartment trying line for line trying to make the script better and then i remember steve just going when the fuck are we ever going to make this movie you know and then we had that line i remember coming we came up with that line for james urbaniak's character where he says he sort of figures out he calls dave out he's like well you you never have to i i haven't seen the movie in forever but it's something like you never have to you you never have to fail if you never finish anything something like that mm -hmm. yeah and we, we came up with that line and we we're like oh no <laughs> like we just called ourselves out and yeah if we don't find a way to and this is when we had zero dollars in funding mm -hmm. uh if we don't find a way to get this movie made like we just call ourselves out we have only ourselves to blame right mm -hmm. that was not a good feeling no, I, I imagine it if it's any consolation. Seriously, though, this is the makings of like a really good, just the relatability to it, where you're just like, man, buddy's right. I know. <laughs> I was gonna say all the way through, it was like, okay, D Dave is me. Okay, well, these little <laughs> filmmakers are me. Well, no, this guy is me. Well, no, Dave's girlfriend is me. Like right. every single, I could relate to something in every single character, and that's I find very rare is when you have that kind of a an ensemble and that many characters all at once to be able to relate to every single character and not being able to look and say i don't like that guy i hope he dies 
Like, right. it's it was such a, a different experience being able to look and being able to see something relatable in every single character. And I think that, oh, that other really than the fact that it's such a unique movie, um, it just that is, I think, what what drew me to it and, and kept me interested all the way through is the fact that the arcs of every single character was all something that I could see a little bit of myself in that I could relate to. And I, it I, was just, it was I'm fantastic really to that have that experience. Away. I know I know a lot of people have, have criticized the film for, for its supporting cast being somewhat one-dimensional. And I think that I, I can understand that criticism. I mean, there's only so much screen time you can spend. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am very frustrated by movies that are A, over an hour and 20 minutes long, and B, have a minor character have a D story. I'm like, man, I don't give a fuck. Like, it's right. great that you've like... <laughs> fleshed out your world but like when number nine on the call sheet has a monologue about his past i'm like come on i don't right. you're not who i'm here to see like right. get back to the story so yeah. you know anyway i'm saying it, it is a fair criticism but also it it, it it was intentional but at the same time you know like i i i very much feel uh, kirsten vangsness's character who just like just wants to get invited to the party just wants to hang out like just hey hey you know what are we doing what are we and everyone's like something without you and she's like okay <laughs> you yeah. know like I, I guess that's cool like she just wants to be yeah so of course she's the first one who gets who gets right whacked because she's she's trying too hard you know to, to and that was my energy on set i was trying too hard to make everybody have fun and like me you know when i was like i should be spending my energy making a movie right um, and if they like me great uh <laughs> Um, but, uh, so I, I could definitely relate, relate to her energy and, um, you know, even within some of those minor characters, there was a lot of intentionality. For example, mm-hmm. we, we talk a lot about the color blue. So, uh, you know, when you're trapped inside a dark place, what do you want to see? You want to see the sky. You, that's, that's mm-hmm. your sense of freedom, that color blue. So that's why mm-hmm. that's the color at the center of the cardboard lady part. Um, it's, it's, it's a trap. It's teasing you because it's showing you the one thing you can't have, which is the blue sky. Um, so we were careful not to let any characters wear any blue, except the first character who gets off is wearing this, these sky blue trousers and her whole energy is like, this is great. It's awesome. Everything here is fine. And, and, and she, she also is this, you know, has that color of, of, of freedom and release on her. And the maze is like, no, 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 you're the first to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's also funny that she's like, it's a fucking cocktail party in here. And I'm the one who stepped out like me. The, I'm the, I, this is happening to me. I just love that. Th- that is very specific. And that was very intentional for, for such a minor character. And then the, you know, the film crew we talked about, they're like, they're, they're Harry's soldiers. So, you know, one of them's wearing, you know, almost like a, a military workman, like jumpsuit. And the other one's mm-hmm. got camo trousers. You know, so the, just some of these small details, you know, you try try to expand on on the minor characters, even just visually, if you don't have time for them to talk about themselves and reveal themselves through dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't perceive them as being one-dimensional at all. I thought they, no, they had didn't. their place, and then we moved on with the story. And if it's about a character, it's about Dave. It's not about everybody. That right. would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's not called right. People Dave Knows Made a Maze. <laughs> like, who are you expecting the movie to be about? Right. Nice one. But even, you know, even Harry, I mean, Jay, and again, it's a testament to the performers because a good actor can, their mere presence gives you a sense of that depth and connectability right. and relatability. So we got very lucky with who was willing to do this movie with us. And someone, 
someone of James's, uh, and it's true of all, all the, you know, Stephanie and, and, and Mira, it's true of everybody in the film. Um, but someone of, of James's sort of gravitas, the amount of preparation he does and, and the depth that he brings to a character, like you can see Harry's, uh, I, I, it might've been a direction from me and it might've just been something, a compliment I made after the fact, but when he first enters the maze, you can see on his face that he's like, oh, I'm gonna get an Oscar. You know what I mean? And yeah. like that's that could have been a line. Mm -hmm. It might have been funny, but I'd rather just see it. Yeah. Right. It made it so much more effective without him actually walking in and, and saying that would have been like ridiculous. It's just like the look <laughs> on his face and the way he just absorbed everything. It and I got that sense too. I'm thinking, okay, this guy thinks now he's gonna win major awards for this documentary. Oh yeah, like with it, he's rubbing his hands with his eyes. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. That greed and the little like you could have put just like dollar signs in his eyes, and it yeah. would have been. But that's like that would have made it completely ineffective is having that because then it would have been a sight gag. But just like that's literally what I saw is like his eyes are are basically cartoon dollar signs now because he's seeing the potential for himself only his rewards out of what's happening now right right um yeah yeah so uh, yeah i mean i love a sight gag so part of me is like oh man i should have put cartoon yeah no, no I right love, I love <laughs> sight cardboard gag too, dollar but... signs in his eyes yeah but you didn't um... even need to because <laughs> no, i saw that too and i was like all right calm down man hold yeah. on <laughs> right <laughs> that would have taken it i think to a level where it would have been too much Right, we're going into especially like, that early Scott, in the Scott movie. Pilgrim versus the World territory. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, it was a fun movie. Yep, I, I would. I, there, there are worlds like that I'd love to explore, but but yeah, you're right. I, I mean, James just James sold it just by by mm -hmm. being James. And there's so much detail in the movie. Having really great actors that just emote is enough. Because mm -hmm. there's just little bits everywhere. Because I've watched the movie three times, and I see something oh, wow. new every time. So having a bunch of people monologuing in the middle of a maze would have been weird. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely. I definitely am a fan of, of of, building a world and then shooting it, as opposed to showing you all the components of a world and then saying it's a world, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. But when you when you do that, there are sometimes like really, really special details that I think don't get highlighted highlighted. So that's something that I look to work on going forward. Um, I, I did a project with Jim Henson Company that ended up not going forward. But similarly, like we had some really incredible details as we went from one world into the next and like what the the the, the, the remnants or the vestiges of the of the one world and how they showed up in the next mm. and it's like that all those details were there and it was it was it was rich and it existed but it's like there was a certain flower in the girl's room and then when she went into the magical space that same flower was a was a classic henson puppet um right but it's like did did i put the camera on that flower in her room enough for anyone to track you know like could i have framed it differently so that it was really obvious that the flower was a carryover you know uh, and does it matter you know those are just some of the things that i'm going forward that i'm looking to build on improve upon you know not not to try to make my work more obvious but just to just to sometimes pay off some of the details mm -hmm. uh that that my teams you know come up with right i think people who like that kind of film making are gonna notice it 
Yeah. And also mm-hmm. people who like me who watch movies I like over and over and over again, it's nice to see something new every time. Exactly. It makes them much more rewatchable. If, yeah. That, that if I'm seeing very... something that I missed the first or second or third or fifth time that I watch it and be like, oh my God, how did I miss that every single time? <laughs> right, brilliant right. addition. It's right. there and for yeah, a reason. You know, but maybe, yeah. maybe the reason is that. Maybe the reason is just is just re- re- rewarding repeated viewing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you're uh, telling us that we're not going to get a second one where we find out what happens to the Minotaur that was thrown in the garbage <laughs> and then walks down the road. <laughs> Minotaur in the big city. This is the number one place for macabre cults, classics, and horrors. For synopsis, reviews, and news, go to macabre.com. Thank you for listening. Signing out until the next one.